In the 1968 Western five-card stud, there's a classic scene when a poker player is caught cheating. When I deal, I like to start with all 52 cards. One of the players tells him, There's only one thing worse than a crook. That's a clumsy crook. And the other players leave the cheater dead. Casinos have changed since the days of the Old West. They now have sensors in the tables and transmitters in the cards, so the game can be live-streamed to people over YouTube and Twitch. And spotting a cheater? It could look different, too. This is Get Wired, and I'm Wired Features Editor Mark Robinson, in for Lauren Good. Today, reporter Brendan Kerner takes us on a journey into the poker world and the scandal that upended it. Hey, Brendan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, so tell me what happened at Stone's Gambling Hall on September 21st, 2019. So Stone's Gambling Hall is a casino located in a former Salvation Army warehouse uh, in Citrus Heights, California, outside Sacramento. And if you'd gone there that night, you would have driven into this retail plaza where it's located. And when you go inside, you know, your bag is checked by security guard and you immediately see all the table games, blackjack and whatnot. And there's a pizzeria and a bar right there near the entrance. If you turn to the right, you'd see uh, what's called the saloon. This is where poker is played, primarily Texas Hold'em. And you go past a little glass wall and there's a bunch of tables crammed together, low slung ceiling, wood beams, uh, cameras everywhere. So it's a little bit like Vegas where you've got cocktail waitresses walking around and handing out drinks and there's no clocks on the wall and it's a real casino atmosphere. That's exactly right. And on this particular night in September, there's a table in the corner where you've got about uh, 10, 12 people playing Texas Hold'em. This is the most popular form of competitive poker. Uh, It's a game where you're dealt two cards face down and then there's a series of uh, communal cards and you try to come up with the uh, best five cards you can to beat your opponents uh, in a game of betting. So cards in your hand plus cards on the table to make the best hand. That's right. Got it. So what you're trying to do is make the best possible hand according to the hierarchy of poker. So let's say you're dealt uh, two face-down jacks. Those are your whole cards. And of the five cards that are turned face up in the center of the table, three of them are queens. Well, what you do then is you'd combine your two jacks with the three queens, you'd have a full house, which is a very strong hand. So Stone's Gambling Hall is really well known in the poker world for having uh, games that are broadcast uh, via YouTube and Twitch. And at any given time, you might have a couple thousand poker fanatics tuning in to these channels to watch the live stream action. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Stone's Lies Poker. Stone's Lies. Stone's Lies. And Lies. All the bluffs. Of the poker. Uh, So with this game being live streamed on September 21st, 2019, there are some very strong players, including a couple of pros who've flown in from Las Vegas carrying large amounts of cash just for this occasion. There's also uh, a local gambling hero named Mike Possel, someone you would never have heard of if you're a high roller in Vegas, but at Stones, he was a a really well-known local folk hero. 
So obviously I see Postle down there. I see Adam down there. We know Berkey's on the way with the delay. So one of the hosts of a live stream is this woman, Veronica Brill. She's co-hosting the broadcast that night. Veronica Brill was a very well-known uh, local player at Stones. And over time, she'd become pretty popular as a host of these games, as well as a commentator, uh, offering expert analysis of the hands as they went by. Very charismatic, gregarious, very loquacious uh, woman with uh, long platinum blonde hair and trademark glasses that she always wears. In my 20s, I was doing beauty pageants. I was a DJ. I had a radio show. I hosted the beauty pageant for a couple of years after I won it. And so I had this gift of gab. And Veronica and her co-commentator live stream games on weekends. This lineup is juicy and looks amazing and I think is going to give a lot of action tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. anticipating a fire. And on this night, with guests in towns, it was an especially big deal. The IRS is basically waiting outside the door with this lineup. I'll just, I'm just going to put it that way. Guys, going around the table, checking out those chips. Green chips are 25. So the game had been going on for five hours. And then the players got to a particularly interesting hand. Seven of them folded immediately. So, like, all, all but two of the players just dropped out right away. That's exactly right. Those seven players thought they just had no future in this game, so they dropped out. That left just two players, a pro from Las Vegas named Marley Cordero and that local hero, Mike Possel. So they went to the uh, next turn of cards in Texas Hold'em, then the next, and both of them had very, very strong hands. <laughs> oh my God, look at this flop. Marley raises pre-Possel calls. <clears throat> Top pair for Possel. Marley flops the Stone Cold Nutter Butters. Queen high straight. But Mike Possel folds. And for Possel, folding there was actually the exact right call because Marley had an even stronger hand. In fact, according to the live streaming graphic, she had a 96% chance of maintaining the better hand once all the cards were dealt. It was a very counterintuitive move by Possel, but one that really saved him a lot of money. So if he had stayed in, he would have lost. Absolutely. And Veronica's co-commentator immediately started singing Mike's praises and talking about what a genius decision this was on his part. This is what I'm talking about, people. Possel takes the weirdest lines and gets people to lay down huge hands all the time, but when he has top pair and a straight draw, he's able to... Veronica had a very different tone against the nuts. Sense. Possel is just like a freak. He's just a freak of nature, man. It's like man. he knows. It's like he knows, she said. Here was one of the commentators on Stone's own live stream saying that Mike Possel was doing something weird and suggesting he might even be cheating. That's exactly right. And that night, Mike ended up winning nearly $30,000. And, you know, when she was driving home that night after the game... Veronica was going back to the Bay Area where she lives. On the way home, I actually wasn't listening to music, which I normally do, or a podcast. I just sat there and just like relived that live stream and these particular moments. This wasn't the first time Mike had played some crazy smart hand like this. He'd been on this uh, pretty unbelievable winning streak for months. And Veronica had been suspecting Mike for some time. But that night she says something, something changed. She knew that accusing someone of cheating in the poker world, particularly this guy who was so beloved, Mike Possel, was sacrilege and knew it was a big deal. But she just didn't realize how big it would become. So Veronica is one of the regulars at Stones. 
And now she's committing this ultimate taboo in her community. I'm wondering, how did she find herself in the poker world in the first place? So Veronica's relationship with poker really started when she bought her first house. And it came with a slightly broken satellite dish. And it like brought in three channels. (laughs) And one of them was this British poker channel, literally 24-7. And she'd never really played cards before, but she suddenly found herself entranced by these games. And I just watched it endlessly. And then I decided to go play. (laughs) My parents, and to no fault of their own, my parents were really pinching pennies. And I found poker players to be interesting because they didn't look at money the same way I was raised to look at it. She started to play in this one card room in West Edmonton where she basically learned the ropes. And she found that she actually had a real talent for this, a real gift for poker because of her mathematical mind and the way she can analyze information. And so these men would come down from Fort McMurray, which is much farther uh, north in Alberta. These were men who worked in the oil fields up there. And these guys were making like obscene amounts of money working in the oil rigs. And they would come down on weekends on this like scary, you know, one lane highway and, um, you know, set their money on fire at River Creek Casino. And eventually she got married, moved to the U.S. with her partner and, and had a baby. But shortly after his birth, things started to get really difficult for her and her son. It it was when he was six months old, we found out that he had um, a severe brain malformation. And uh, yeah, and then uh, everything just like continued to go downhill. I quit my job uh, and I took care of my son 24-7. I slept like two hours a night and I was exhausted and like once a week, I had about four hours to myself and I would go to Stones and my husband would, my ex-husband would take care of our son. So poker became something different to me during that time in my life. So like it initially started out as this like really fun Rubik's Cube to try to solve And I really enjoyed talking through hands with my friends. And I really wanted to go there and like drink coffee and be pinpoint focused and and really figure out the game and try to be better at it. Those were my ambitions. And then after things in my personal life started taking a toll on me, poker became kind of an outlet for me. Unfortunately, her son David passed away at the age of three. And of course, she was completely grief-stricken. Her marriage fell apart shortly thereafter, and she started going to Stones as as much as she could. I didn't want to process it. I couldn't process it. And my like, I didn't want to face it. I don't even think I faced the fact that he passed away for like a couple of years. I just denied it. I just couldn't. I, I still kind of can't grasp it, but I... I just denied it. So I just, I started getting worse and worse and I was um, going to Stones and just like partying and drinking a lot. And as she became a regular at Stones, the casino became more and more her community. We would have Thanksgiving dinners together with all of the staff. I got to know the waiters and waitresses and the bartenders and the floor and and uh, the chip runners. I mean, like we were all just kind of family. And so it just became like this second little place I could go to 
to find a little bit of happiness. And so as Veronica spent more and more time at Stones, she got really involved in being a commentator on the live stream and was really well-liked and became a real staple of the scene there at Stone. She was doing commentary almost weekly at some points. And one of the regulars uh, in the games that Veronica commented on was Mike Possel, the player who did that crazy fold against Marley Cordero. He was this kind of moon-faced, slightly cherubic man in his early 40s who always had a baseball cap pulled tight down nearly over his eyes. Mike was the guy in the room that like everybody liked. He got along with us. He would bring wine. He would tip well. And everybody liked him. How did Mike Possel get his start? I mean, here's a guy who was a middling professional poker player who suddenly bursts into local fame. Where did he come from? Mike Possel comes from a large family uh, in a town called Cameron, Wisconsin, where his dad owned a roller skating rink. When Mike was 18, he got a job uh, working at one of the local casinos up there in Wisconsin. And then from there, he migrated down to Mississippi, to Tunica, which is one of the hotbeds of poker. There's the Riverbook casinos down there. And he worked uh, as a dealer, but also was playing quite a bit and really realized he had a wonderful aptitude for poker. And by 2005, 2006, he was playing in some really big tournaments down there and winning them. He, at one tournament, he won well over $100,000 in a single go. So Mike is this up-and-coming player, and he's, he's really doing well. Yeah, he was known for being a really sharp player, really aggressive in his style, almost like a prodigy in some ways. In this era, poker was really about intuition and a natural feel for the game. And Mike was really good at that. And so at this point in time, he was doing really well for himself. And then Mike started dating a woman he met through the casino scene in Mississippi. And they got pregnant. And they moved to Sacramento to be closer to Mike's family. His mother and father had moved there from Wisconsin. And soon after the move, uh, she has their baby. And his girlfriend told him that she had a brain tumor. And that before she underwent the, the surgery to get it removed, she wanted to get married. She and, and Possel have a very rushed wedding. And, and then a few days later, she went in for the surgery. She came out and, and she was heavily bandaged, but she survived. And then for, for months afterward, she would go in for these appointments for chemotherapy. Would never let Mike go with her, though. And over time, what Mike Possel starts to understand is that this whole brain tumor story was all a lie. There was no tumor. and She made it all up. In fact, the situation was that she was suffering from some mental health issues, among them a substance abuse disorder. She was heavily abusing alcohol. So this was turning into a pretty strange situation where it sounds like Mike ended up getting married under pretty false pretenses. It was certainly pretty ugly and toxic, and these revelations were followed by a split in the marriage and then an extraordinarily bitter cussy dispute uh, involving their daughter. And there was just court hearing after court hearing, just just gut-wrenching stuff. And Mike kind of fell off track uh, in his poker career during this time. I think partly uh, that's because of the stress of what was going on, the obligations of all of this. Uh, He's falling into debt. 
Uh, he's running up some massive legal bills. Things are things are tough for him. So in the midst of all this, in the summer of 2018, Mike starts having a, a kind of crazy win streak. He keeps winning and winning. He, he he becomes almost he becomes a celebrity in this world because of his winning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he won so much at Stone's Gambling Hall that the broadcast team for the live stream. Uh, started to go out of its way to build up his his fame and his notoriety, and it really stressed his heroic qualities. They broadcast graphics of him with his face superimposed over the body of Jesus. They call him the Messiah of Poker. People started to call him God. Here's a live streamer talking with with Mike on a Stones broadcast uh, early in 2019. I mean, who wouldn't want to know the thought process of a poker player that is running like a freaking god? They, they nicknamed you in previous streams, uh, Mike, Jesus, Apostle, G-O-D. I am running like Zeus right now, yes. Zeus, yes. Yeah. Not Hades, extremely well. just Zeus. Yeah. <laughs> like awesome. any of the Greek gods. Well, we have uh, six hands to get through here. We're going to take a quick break. Why Veronica chose to accuse God of cheating and the meltdown that ensued when she did, when we come back. Stay with us. Okay, so Veronica and Mike are these two pillars, it sounds like, in different ways at Stone's. And here they are on this fateful night, September 21, 2019. And there's this sort of moment of truth for Veronica. Mike is playing these high rollers from Vegas, and Veronica casts doubt on his play on the live stream. Can you walk me through what happened to make her suspect him of cheating? So poker strategy used to be mostly based on subjective qualities uh, like bravado and intuition and the natural feel for the game. But around 2010 or so, there was a revolution that started in poker, a revolution that was all about making all of your decisions based on math and probability and really memorizing what might be the single best decision in any given situation. And that's a strategy uh, that professionals call game theory optimal. So Mike, if he was a practitioner of game theory optimal, would have had a clear choice in the hand against Marley Cordero. Uh, let me grab a deck of cards and show you what I mean. Cool. Yeah, let me, let me see what it looks like. So when the cards were dealt, the two face-down hole cards that Mike Possel received were the Queen of Diamonds and the Jack of Hearts. And then the first three face-up cards were turned. That was the nine of diamonds, the eight of spades, and the jack of diamonds. And in this situation, what that meant is that Mike Postola was a 10 away from having what's called a straight. That's uh, five cards in ascending order. In his case, if he got a 10, it would be eight, nine, 10, jack, queen. Very, very strong hand. So right off the bat, he's only one card away from a straight. He's got the jack, queen, in, in his hand, just face down, and on the table, um, there's an eight and nine. So he just needs a 10, and he's going to have a straight. He's in a really promising position. So bets are made. The next card, the fourth face-up card, is turned. 
Uh, that's the four of spades, so not very useful to him. So there is one more card that can be turned. Mike Possle just has to make a bet. According to Game Theory Optimal, the odds of things turning in his favor and getting a 10 in the situation are high enough where it makes sense for him to proceed to that last face-up card and see how things pan out. But he doesn't choose to do that. He actually chooses to fold before that fifth card can even be turned face-up. So that's really the point, is like, your intuition may be telling you one thing, but the statistics of poker say that in a situation like this, over the long run, if you bet and hope for a 10, you'll do better. That's right. Game Theory Optimal is a strategy of the brain, not the heart. In this situation, his opponent already had a 10 and a jack. She already had the queen high straight. So even though Game Theory Optimal would have Possel place a bet and keep on playing, it was actually the right move to fold. And that's why Veronica said it's almost like he knows. It was just too perfect of a decision for Veronica. And there were so many more plays just like that one where Mike succeeded even though he didn't follow Game Theory Optimal. Veronica figured there had to be something up. Veronica had already taken her concerns to Stone's management and to some friends in the world of poker. I was told that I didn't understand poker. I was told that no one understands Mike Postle's poker. And I was just gaslit. And so it was really hard for me to distinguish early on the difference between him potentially cheating and him just being on a heater. I'm like, well... Yes, maybe I don't understand poker enough, but I understand all of the patterns and all of the prerequisites it takes to be successful. And none of those were met. And also his success rate was even higher than anyone I had ever seen. And so when Mike chose to fold in this game against Marley, Veronica raised a question. The Marley hand kind of kind of like was the straw that broke the camel's back. I was just, at that moment, I was like, fuck this. No one is doing anything. One of the central norms of the poker community is that you don't call someone out for cheating, even in the slightest way, unless you have ironclad proof. She kind of knew that, you know, by saying that, by making that suggestion, that not everything was in the up and up with Mike Postle, that there were going to be a lot of people attacking her. So she essentially did the modern equivalent of standing up at the poker table and drawing a pistol. Yeah, at least putting your hand on the pistol and getting ready to draw. And then a week passed after this game. I was like, you know what? The best thing to do is to get maybe some professionals to look at this, some outside sources, someone who's not affiliated with Stones or someone who doesn't even play there. And so, yeah, I put a video together of like the top three hands that I thought he was cheating in and I posted on Twitter. The tweet she posted along with the video basically said, you know, I can't prove this guy is cheating and this video is not proof of cheating. But if you look at his results, I believe as someone who's very into mathematics, I believe that his success at these games must be the result of him having more information than his fellow players. And although I'm not a professional poker player, I think I recognize enough of, you know, what a competent poker player consists of and win rates. And Mike was just this massive outlier. And so I was like 90% sure that he was cheating or I'm completely the biggest idiot 
And Mike is a god. So the basic technology used at Stones is that the players are gathered around a special table outfitted with RFID sensors. And the cards themselves have these little radio transmitters inside of them. And so when you get your face-down cards, your so-called hole cards in Texas Hold'em, you put them over this sensor. And that sends the information to a broadcast center, uh, a room in the back, essentially. And then they're able to put on the live stream graphic what those cards are that you have. Clearly, that information would be very valuable uh, to somebody at the table. And so to prevent cheating, what uh, live streams do is they delay themselves by about half an hour. The, the theory being that, you know, then someone in the audience can't just be looking at the live stream and telling the players at the table, you know, communicating somehow through signals or whatever, what the cards are. The one place there's access in real time is in the broadcast center. So hypothetically, if someone was sitting in the broadcast center, they could be giving information to Mike Postle at the table in real time. Hypothetically, yes. Uh, but Stones 100% denies any role in any kind of cheating. Uh, the casino always dismissed these complaints as ridiculous and claimed it had perfect security. Veronica Bro was not the only person in the Stones community who had suspected or talked about the possibility that Mike might be cheating, um, but she was the first person to go public about those suspicions. And the poker world um, really was not happy with her doing that. I posted on Saturday morning... And Sunday, I was a complete wreck. And Monday, I had to go to work. And I was a fucking wreck. I, like, hadn't slept all night. I was getting attacked and, you know, sworn at online. The first three days, everyone was on his side. Everyone was piling on me. Uh, There were people, uh, one in particular who attacked Veronica over the death of her son, saying that they think that Veronica probably couldn't wait till her son was dead so she could get back to playing cards. So it was real nasty in the online world for a while there. Wow, that is cruel. Definitely. And uh, Mike Postle contacted her. They were not best buds, but they were friends. And he was absolutely furious that she had done this. And he wrote her a... A very, very long text message, um, basically saying, you know, for you to call me out like this without even approaching me first is just a a horrendous sin in our world. Mike Postle absolutely denied these allegations. Absolutely. From day one, he's done nothing but deny them. I talked to Mike Postle numerous times while reporting this story for Wired. However, he stopped responding to me in mid-September. But when we did talk, Mike told me he felt all this was a a betrayal by people he considered close friends in a lot of ways. And he couldn't believe these people in the Stones community would stab him in the back like this. For others who didn't even know either one of these characters, they took umbrage at what Veronica had done. Because to them, this is something that you just don't do unless you can prove that this alleged cheater was doing something underhanded. You can't just go out and say, oh, well, the math doesn't work. Because there's a code of conduct in the poker world, and she had crossed a line. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a lot of people, even friends of Veronica's, who said, you know what, you made a big mistake, and you should never have done this. They all felt betrayed. They all felt like, he's one of us, you should know that he wouldn't do this. But then something interesting happened on October 1st. 
I was like sitting in the parking lot of the dentist and Joey sent me a message on Instagram. Joey Ingram is a popular poker YouTuber, also known as Chicago Joey. And he was like, I think that I found some stuff. I think this guy might be cheating. And then I think that night, that Monday night, he started live streaming, going through hand and after hand after hand. There's nothing spectacular about his play at all. Right here, take a look. June 22nd, 2018. So Joey is dissecting this setup, and because everything is recorded on the live stream, he's able to go back through and analyze hours and hours of hands Mike Possle has played. Right. I'm going to show you how it got worse and worse, and I'm going to show you how this man is no poker god. This man's just a regular player who plays like a regular old player. There's nothing and this right got a here. huge following. People in the poker world, in the online poker world, um, were glued to his narration of these hands. This is a, a pre-God mode session. The next Nolman Holmes session, Mike Posso plays two hours and one minutes in. And Joey even pinpoints the very night when he says Mike Possel first started cheating. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe I identified the exact moment, sequence of events, and hands that took place on June 22nd, 2018 that led Mike Possel to decide to cheat on the Stones live stream and turn into a man that played like this with his phone on the railing for everybody to see to a man that just two sessions later decided that he would start looking into his crotch area during pivotal moments in the hands. And Joey Ingram came to the conclusion that there's no way you can make decisions like the ones Mike was making over that amount of hands and come out that far ahead. And more than 100,000 people would go on to watch this live stream. These are not the type of actions and plays and overall style of a Mike Possel. But now he takes the phone off the railing, puts it in his lap, and now he's going to try to bluff this guy off jacks with a 7-5 offsuit and 3-a-pot. Just a, a, a pretty kamikaze type of play that did not exist prior to this moment. And that was really the event, the Joey Ingram narration and dissection of Mike Postle's past hands that started to change minds in the poker community. Joey Ingram basically gave legitimacy to Veronica Brill's accusations in a lot of ways. People started messaging me like, hey, I was wrong. It looks like he is cheating. So on the heels of these live streams uh, coming out, you had hundreds of poker enthusiasts taking to message boards, uh, particularly on a site called 2plus2. They started a massive thread to crowdsource the investigation into Mike Possel. And you had lots of people saying that, you know, this hand didn't make sense. And the table started turning. And, you know, there were a lot, lots of wild theories out there. Uh, people saying that, you know, perhaps he had some kind of bone conduction headset uh, beneath his uh, omnipresent baseball cap and he was getting signals in Morse code or something that way. Or, you know, that he was uh, using his phone, that people, someone was texting him information. Uh, again, this is all speculation uh, based on hundreds of these amateur detectives watching the same hands that Joey Ingram had. And two days after Joey's first live stream, the controversy gets even bigger, right? Absolutely. Uh, the poker world was stunned when on the nightly edition of ESPN Sports Center, the anchor Scott Van Pelt spent three minutes talking about this drama at Stones. Again, I'm a neophyte here. I know nothing. I just ask this. If you're the equivalent of a guy who shows up to play pickup basketball and you never, ever missed a shot for a couple of years, 
wouldn't you go play in the NBA? If you're some sort of poker god who almost never lost, who made the right call or fold virtually every single time, if you were this good, why would you be playing in games only with a video feed? So you got to keep in mind, a few weeks ago, this was just a small game in Sacramento. Now it's on ESPN and millions are watching. At a 1-3 table at Stone's Poker Room. Why wouldn't you be in Vegas winning all the money in the world? There might be perfectly reasonable explanations and answers for all the questions the poker world has, and they'd love for that to be... The story's blown up, and, and Mike Possel can clearly tell that the tide of the poker world's opinion is turning against him. And so Mike Possel scrambles and, and believes he has to do something to state his case. And so he goes on a podcast hosted by a pretty well-known poker player named Mike Matisau. Here's Matisau welcoming Mike to the show. Listen, I just I just want you to know, dude, I'm I'm not like all these other fucking jackoffs. You know, I'm a real person. I I believe in 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 innocent. I'm a little stoned. Innocent before proven guilty. And this podcast host gives him every opportunity to clear his name. You say the fake news is saying about you, and I think it's only fair that you are allowed to talk without people just ridiculing you. And, but it uh, ends up being an odd performance by Mike Possel. I don't know. Uh, it's, there, there isn't words to describe what I do. It's, mm -hmm. He kind of rambles. Uh, he's really seems confused, bewildered, does not turn in a good performance, and it's very damaging to his case. It's creative, diabolical, and... And, uh, you the know, predicated on having an M.O. of, like, I, I, I've always tried to be the most unpredictable player at the table. So in a matter of three weeks, the poker world's done a 180. Right. So just a few days after Mike Possel's appearance on the Matisau podcast, Veronica and several other players sue Mike Possel and Stones for $30 million in damages for Mike's alleged cheating. But in June of 2020, the suit against Possel is dismissed. That's because there is an aspect of California law that controls gaming that holds that you can't sue other players for losses at the table. So there's really no legal recourse in a situation like that. Exactly right. So Veronica and others turned to the legal system looking for resolution. And the legal system basically said, we can't help you. We as a community have to ensure the integrity of the game and we can't have law enforcement do it for us, unfortunately. And then a few months after the dismissal, in early October, Mike Possel filed a lawsuit of his own. Uh, he's accusing Veronica Brill, Joey Ingram, ESPN, and several other luminaries of the poker world of, of defamation. And he's seeking $330 million in damages. So where do things stand now? Well, there's no question this saga's altered multiple lives. Um, Mike Possel is pretty much in hiding right now, not really playing cards openly. Joey Ingram, the YouTuber who really brought this controversy into the mainstream, he was kind of off the grid for a while too. Stone's Gambling Hall has totally dug their heels in and continues to vehemently deny that anything shady went down. Veronica Brill has, has lost the community that was so important to her. Stone's, the place that was her sanctuary during this really dark time in her life. She's not even allowed to go back there. And I, it frustrates me that some people have vilified me when I was friends with them and just have to 
You just have to let those people go. So just backing up a little bit in this whole story, if you think about the way things used to be in the old West and that movie five card stud, you know, if somebody was accused of cheating, the players would just take care of it right there. But today things are a lot more complicated. And even though there's so much more information and cameras and, you know, surveillance technology and RFID chips tracking every single card, it's harder to tell whether someone's really cheated or not. Yeah, once the debate over Apostle's alleged cheating got into the public square, so to speak, passions kind of overcame truth and almost became like a test of faith. Uh, which side were you on? Mike Postle's side or Veronica Brill's side? And people analyzed hands and went back and forth ad nauseum with evidence and alleged evidence and attacking each other. And pretty quickly, the basic facts of the case got forgotten. And it became a, a drama that people became emotionally invested in, especially on social media. And the truth kind of got gobbled up and disappeared in the course of all that happening. So Mike's defamation case is currently pending. It's something that everyone in the poker world is following very closely. There's certainly a chance Mike could still win. There's also a lot of people who've come out of the woodwork to provide money and support to the defendants, including Veronica Brill, so they can maybe advance to discovery uh, in the hopes that perhaps they can finally find ironclad evidence that Mike Postle was cheating. As far as the poker world at large, it does seem like the vast majority of the community does accept that Mike Postle cheated. And he's kind of lost in the court of public opinion, so to speak. And he's essentially persona non grata in large swaths of the poker world and will probably be hard-pressed to find himself a game these days. And Veronica is playing a lot less poker these days, too. But she doesn't have any regrets about the decision she made to go public. I wanted to take a cheater out of the game. We got him out of the game. He was outed. Well, thanks to Veronica Brill for coming on the show. And Brendan, thank you for reporting this amazing story. Thank you so much, Mark. And now it's time for our closing segment, Six Word Sci-Fi. Every month, Wired asks you all to send us sci-fi stories told in only six words. On the podcast, you'll hear audio versions of some of our favorites. Here's our producer, Asia Simpson. This week, our six-word sci-fi comes from Anna Jay. The theme is a story set in a world without paper. I keep losing at rock scissors. Today's episode of Get Wired was hosted by me, Mark Robinson. You can follow me on Twitter at MarkRobSF. This episode was reported by Brendan Kerner. You can follow him on Twitter at Brendan Kerner. This episode was produced by Anna Stitt, Mickey Capper, Ben Montoya, and Asia Simpson. Mixing and scoring was done by Hannes Brown. 
Our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. Nina Gensler-Debs, Sarah Fallon, and Megan Greenwell edited this episode. Scott Rosenfield is Wired's site director, and our editor-in-chief is Nicholas Thompson. You can sign up for podcast updates at wired.com slash podcast email. Thanks again for listening.